This show is made possible by our Patreon supporters. To get access to our exclusive content and support the show, visit www.patreon.com forward slash EABB podcast. That's www.patreon.com forward slash EABB podcast. Thanks. This episode is dedicated to the memory of Robert Costello. Bob was a Civil War reenactor who frequently portrayed Abraham Lincoln, and he was a friend to many, and he will be missed dearly. Welcome to the Early American Brass Band Podcast. I'm Chris Troiano, joined always by Stephen Canastrisi. Hello. This is episode 43, and today we're speaking with Yari Villanueva, leader of the Federal City Brass Band. Today our discussion is focusing on the music of Abraham Lincoln, and we're really excited to be sharing this conversation with you all today. Yeah, well, uh, be sure to credit Yari's frequent flyer account with us uh, for the time he spent with us today, <laughs> and uh, we're excited to... to uh, have you listened to this one? So here it is. Alrighty, thank you so much, Yari Villanueva, for coming back on the Early American Brass Band podcast. This is now your fourth appearance on the show, so I guess uh, you don't hate us. So that's a great sign for us. Thank you so much for taking the time and coming on again. <laughs> well. Thank you so much for having me. I, we very appreciative of what you guys are doing. I've been watching all the videos you've been posting. Uh, the, the videos of the bands uh, playing in movies has oh, been yeah. entertaining. <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. Watching uh, how you know the, the different types of bands that are playing, uh, the bands that are using original arrangements, some are and some that are using the Hollywood <laughs> versions. Mm-hmm. Of yeah. that so it's, it's it's been wonderful to see thank how you, you. bands are portrayed in hollywood yeah definitely <laughs> before we start i just want to uh, make mention that uh we mourn the loss of a very good musician and scholar bill hall who was the leader of the first nebraska volunteers band uh bill was really really trying to get his band set up in fact the band is still going which is wonderful mm-hmm. uh and, and and doing some civil war music in nebraska usually you find bands like on the east coast you know where the civil war happened but to have a band out there was really something and bill was you know a member of the united states army band pershing's own at one time uh, great musician great scholar and we mourn his passing. Today's topic is the music of President Abraham Lincoln. I have a document here that we sent Yari beforehand uh, that does start in a good place, but Yari, maybe to throw you a curveball, uh, okay. <laughs> where, where does Abraham Lincoln for you rank in a list of maybe favorite presidents? Oh my gosh. (laughs) There are several people I look up to as heroes in my Mm -hmm. life. And the, the, the two that stand out the most are John Philip Sousa 
and Abraham Lincoln. Mm-hmm. Abraham Lincoln, to me, I thought was is is the greatest president the United States had. He is a man who came from such humble background, such a humble background, um, self-educated, uh, worked his way up as a storekeeper, uh, all kind of odd jobs, splitting rails, you know, doing farm work, uh, reading on his own, getting his law degree and becoming a lawyer and then becoming a statesman in the, you know, the new um, area of Illinois, um, finally reaching, you know, the United States Congress as a congressman first, and then coming back to be our president and, and coming at a time when our country was, was really ripping itself apart mm-hmm. over the issue of slavery and states' rights and everything about, you know, that was, was going on. And he is the person that really helped keep the United States together. He had his goals in mind uh, before the, the war started that he, you know, he wanted to make sure that slavery was stopped. He came in with, with, with his mission and he really kept our country together. He, he emancipated you know, the, the slaves. He put a stop to slavery as we know it and really kept our country together. And um, of course, unfortunately with his assassination, you know, he was not able to fulfill everything that he wanted. But mm-hmm. when you look at a man um, who had great ideals, who had the courage, who had uh, just great things about him there, he and, you know, Washington were the, the you know, two great presidents. Washington, of course, starting our nation and Lincoln actually saving our nation. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot, you know, that I admire about him. Mm-hmm. Definitely. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember when the movie came out, the Lincoln, uh, I forget how many years ago that was now, but then I, I 12, I believe. Right. Yeah. So a while ago, actually, <laughs> was, was that nine years. Um, but uh, I bought the, uh, the book the team of rivals that I think a mm-hmm. lot of that, uh, um movie you know it, it was used heavily to research that movie i think yes. and it's a thick book uh but i very enjoyed i i enjoyed reading it a lot and there's a you know getting a lot deeper into his life and you know his political maneuverings um which was very interesting there's a lot of great things about that uh about that movie and uh, mm-hmm that I've noticed. Um, and one of them, of course, the portrayal of Lincoln is probably the best of all the movies ever put out that showed Lincoln. The, mm-hmm. the, was probably the best. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So good. So good. And I love uh, having Daniel Day Lewis in kind of opposing uh, character roles in Lincoln and then in Gangs of New York kind of set you know, basically the same year, essentially, and yes. <laughs> and two very different characters, but it's a uh, yeah, two great movies. I love them. Um, so some some of our listeners might be wondering why we're talking about uh, a president and some politics and stuff on the early American brass band podcast, and they might be wondering what brass instrument did Abraham Lincoln play? <laughs> That's what. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, it goes to you know about Lincoln and his musicality and, you know, was Lincoln, you know, a musician and, mm-hmm. 
<laughs> I guess we can say that Lincoln was probably one of the America's most unmusical <laughs> that ever was. We know that Thomas Jefferson played the violin, John Quincy Adams played the flute. Uh, Warren Harding played several brass instruments, including tuba, and uh, he was a close friend of uh, Henry Fillmore back in his Ohio days. Oh, nice. Um, Nixon and uh, Truman uh, both played piano. Uh, President Clinton played the saxophone <laughs> uh, many, many, many times. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, he loved playing with bands at the White House. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. so much so that a lot of the bands would bring an extra tenor saxophone <laughs> so, That's that, awesome. so he would jam with them <laughs> um, but lincoln uh didn't play any musical instrument and he probably couldn't carry a tune <laughs> um, uh, you know it's really funny because i've been in the research that i was doing recently I came across uh, the website of the National Association of Music Educators. And on that site, they claim that Lincoln played the violin. Hmm. And it's like, mm, no, sorry. Yeah. I don't see, I have not found any reference to it. So it just goes to show you, you know, you really can't trust, you know, the internet for uh, things. Um, yeah, it sounds like some uh, Wikipedia research was done on on that, right? <laughs> yeah, um, and yeah, and sometimes things you know go in there that really shouldn't. But yeah. <laughs> but you know, although Lincoln couldn't read music, um, he, he had certainly a, a passionate love of it. And uh, I mean, there were many many times during his time in the White House where he left, you know, to go and attend the opera. Mm-hmm. Um, he invited. Um, entertainers to come to the white house to perform for him um and he listened to concerts of course that were performed on the white house lawn by militia Mm -hmm. bands that poured in by the dozens in early april of 1861 in fact the uh the new york seventh uh one of the biggest and most glamorous regiments in the army when they came in, they were one of the first regiments to come marching into Washington. Their militia band, the, the New York 7th, was uh, one of the first bands, maybe may have been the first military band outside of the Marine Band to perform on the White House lawn. Yeah. Uh, Lincoln also, of course, was you know, enamored with the U.S. Marine Band, and they performed twice a week uh, during his time. Yeah. Um, they they did like Wednesday and Saturday or Sunday concerts. Mm-hmm. And, and I think for Lincoln, music was an important part of his life in that it was like sort of therapy for him. Um, you know, it was a way of, of, of getting away from what was going on, you know, with all the duties that he had as president. Yeah, and friends always would notice that uh, that when he listened to music uh, his eyes would mist up and you know they would you know he'd be thrown into you know these um a a melancholy state and of course we know that lincoln um was a very uh, sad person (laughs) i mean he would he would have fits of melancholy um he, they, what he called, you know, the hypos, <laughs> in his own words, where he would just go into these just long periods of sadness. 
but music really helped, you know, during that time. Um, as I said before, you know, he wasn't a musician and, you know, he couldn't read music um, and probably never sang. Although, you know, uh, although, you know, you know, as, as anybody would, you want know, to hear a band or they, they hear people singing, you always want to sing along. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and if he did, you know, we, we would know that he would probably have had a high tenor voice. Uh, a very shrill voice at that with a, you know, a strong Kentucky accent. And for those friends who are listening from Kentucky, um, I apologize, but that's, that's what, how his voice has been described. <laughs> now it's interesting, you know, he had that high voice, but yet when Hollywood portrays Lincoln, it's usually in a baritone or bass voice, you know, the, the voices of Gregory Peck, Henry Fonda, um, Raymond Nassie. And we mentioned before, we talked a little bit about the uh, the new Spielberg movie, new, well, some years, <laughs> Daniel Day-Lewis. And I think that movie comes as close to portraying what Lincoln sounded like, because he did, um, Lewis did, uh, portray him with a, a much higher voice. Mm -hmm. Usually, probably that uh, desire to like the deeper voice is like more grounded, firm, like masculinity, probably, right? And they kind of think of that grand stature and his height, you know, obviously, uh, probably that, contributed to that that assumption that it was this boastful kind of big voice, right? That is true. Um, we tend to think in in our culture that the manly voice is more of a baritone or, or bass sounding, but yet um, the one, some of the most prolific presidents um, were tenors, mm -hmm. um, not only Lincoln, but um, Franklin Delano Roosevelt mm -hmm. had a very high, uh, you know, uh, tenor voice, which is mm -hmm. good for speaking outside. Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah. There you go. Now, as far as instruments go, you know, and I was trying to find out, and of course, you know, I saw that reference that Lincoln played the violin, which is not true. Mm -hmm. There is a scholar, Weldon Pets, I think is his name, um, who, who writes that Lincoln probably played the Jews harp um, at mm -hmm. some point in time, mm -hmm. and, and claims in his book that um, Lincoln had played the Jews harp at the debates with uh, Stephen Douglas hmm. um, during that 1958. Um, mm -hmm. And I can imagine, I can see it now while, you know, Douglas is speaking and Lincoln's off to the side, you know, but we'll bling, 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 bling. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, it, it must be uh, that he played the Jews harp because in the um, 1939 film with Henry Fonda, which is based on the uh, Carl Sandburg books. There's a scene where Lincoln is riding along uh, with uh, someone else and he pulls out a Jews harp and he starts playing on it. And the guy asks, you know, well, what, what, what is that? And he says, well, it's the Jews harp. He says, it comes down from David's harp in the Bible. And so he starts playing. And what do you think he starts playing? 
Dixie. Yeah, yeah, there you go. Which is kind of weird because this is young Abraham Lincoln, and so it would have been about 15 years before Dixie was written. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so a little, little artistic uh, <laughs> license there. There you go. Maybe he wrote it. Maybe that's the the unknown origin of uh, that the lost origin of Dixie. <laughs> wrote it on horseback. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> probably, you know, Lincoln also probably would have um, uh, played harmonica. I mean, who who did? Yeah. It's such a you know, just blow into it, you can make a sound. Yeah. Maybe he played the euphonium because isn't the joke that that euphonium is so easy to play? You hold it up in a breeze and it'll play itself. That's yeah, kinda... there you go. <laughs> and saxophone too. Right? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Well, but you know, certainly, you know, Lincoln would have been uh, exposed to music from a young age. Mm-hmm. Uh, his 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 mother Nancy Hanks surely would have sang you know all the the lyrical ballads to him and uh, which which actually he loved um he always would talk about that and and certainly some of those things would have been like kathleen mavorny the old rosin the bow and and annie laurie of course mm-hmm. and he through life became attached to a a, a, a ballad cost uh, called 20 years ago and Lincoln had a friend um, who was actually his bodyguard by the name of uh, Ward Hill Laman, or Lehman. And uh, he would always ask Ward Hill to sing, you know, would you please sing that sad little song for me and, and the, 20 years ago? And, and it always would cause Lincoln to, you know, to, you know, reflect and be in a melancholy mood. But mm-hmm. Lehman also had a way of, you know, cheering up Lincoln, too. He would always always sing um, comic songs to Lincoln, which Lincoln loved. And one of those, of course, was the Blue Tail Fly, uh, Blue Tail Fly hmm. uh, which was a, a favorite of Lincoln's. Of course, that's the, you know, Jimmy Crack Corn and I Don't Care. Oh, okay. So comic songs like that, Lincoln loved. As a matter of fact, it's 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 those type of tunes that sort of get Lincoln into a little bit of hot water. Um, in in October of 1862, Lincoln visited the battlefield of Antietam, mm-hmm. and you know he he went he he rode horseback, uh, you know, through the devastation of the battlefield. He visited the um, wounded in the tents. Of course, he was there to meet with General McClellan also. Mm-hmm. Um, there is a story that um, Lincoln with with McClellan was as they were riding, you know, Lincoln got the urge to like, hey, Layman, you know, sing a little song. And he said, you know, sing that song about Pickaboon Butler. And McClellan, you know, was a little taken aback by that and said, you know, uh, not now. Uh, Let me hear it some other time. And uh, then Lincoln then asked him, uh, his friend to sing that song 20 years ago. Well, that was brought up two years later um, as a way of getting after Lincoln um, to, 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 you know, to... um, During the election? Yeah, during the election, you know, to... Mm -hmm 
disparage him mm-hmm. and stuff. And it, so it w- wasn't really actually true. I mean, Lincoln did, you know, uh, was very melancholy on that battlefield. And, and, you know, he was trying to be cheered up by his friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that would have been the the largest devastation he saw up to that point, right, would have been at Antietam. So, so yeah. And, you know, Lincoln, That you know, that was the fall of 62. Although Lincoln had visited McClellan um, the July previous down in um, Harrison's Landing along the James River mm-hmm. after the Battle of Seven, the Seven Days Battle. Mm-hmm. And basically Lincoln had gone down there to the roof to review the troops, but also to sort of kick McClellan in the in the in the rear as they get moving. And and so the same thing sort of happened here because he was disappointed that McClellan didn't follow up and chase uh, Lee back into Virginia. Mm -hmm. um, But that's that's a whole nother story with uh, McClellan and Lincoln. (laughs) Oh yeah, for sure. And you know Lincoln not only loved those songs, those popular songs, those English ballads that were um, quite popular at the time. Um, he also, you know, loved the comic songs, but he also liked the classical songs. Mm-hmm. And, and for a man who, who had, a, you know, a very limited, you know, learning, he came to love and appreciate Shakespeare and operas. Um, he, while he was in Washington, um, he was, you know, able to like see it up close to 30 operas. Um, you, the, the, the operas, of course, of Rossini, Mozart, uh, Bellini, Donizetti, Weber, you know, the, 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 the big guys at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, and and was criticized for that. You know, his political opponents would say, you know, you're spending too much time at the opera while the soldiers were dying on the battlefield. Too and, much time at the golf course. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and you know, and he he would reply, reply back that you know the truth is, um, I must have a change or of some sort, or I will die. You know, yeah. I have to get this relief. So, you know, he, he loved the operas. He appreciated the music. And, uh, you know, he also loved Shakespeare. Mm-hmm. And not only liked to attend Shakespeare plays, but also um, loved to read them out loud. Mm. A lot of times to willing and sometimes unwilling audiences, mm. uh, especially his <laughs> <especially> staff. <laughs> but... But yeah, he, uh, he he loved he loved music, and, and and people always would notice that the you know music would would evoke emotions um, from him, and they say you know his eyes, like I said before, would mist up, and mm-hmm. it would always be very melancholy when you heard. This yeah. Movie. So it, being a connoisseur of music and a big supporter of music and having exposure to bands on the White House lawn and orchestras and, and opera houses and stuff and uh, parlor music and acapella, all, all the different types of music one could be listening to in the 19th century. Is it ever noted anywhere that he had a preference for any sort of either particular like musical ensemble or was he did he just take it all in sort of thing? 
Well, I, I would imagine uh, he loved it all, but, you know, certainly, in my opinion, I think uh, Lincoln reveled in, in having the United States Marine Band, you know, mm-hmm. the president's own. Mm-hmm. In fact, it was during his time that Lincoln actually established the act to recognize the Marine Band by law. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, of course, they had been formed under President John Adams. Mm-hmm. Um, but to have it officially recognized, um, you know, was was a big step in 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 you know um, in its organization, and the band played there, like I said, twice twice a week, and and they played also all types of parties and receptions, and they played there constantly during Lincoln's tenure, except for uh, the, the brief or the period of mourning following uh the death of his son willie mm-hmm. and, and, and he enjoyed what the band did because the band at that time was um a, a large a large group it, it was they had started to put woodwinds into the group uh, you know in addition to the, the you know the standard brass bands mm-hmm. and, and and they had not only polkas and waltzes and quick steps but also music from the opera and the lyric opera, which were the which was popular music to Americans, sort of like what Broadway is to us today. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'd hear a medley of Broadway tunes today. Back then, you'd hear all the the, the standard opera tunes. Mm-hmm. And this uh, tradition of Italian opera, which Lincoln liked, because, like I said, he went and heard Rossini and Donizetti and Bellini. This it was it really helped that the leader of the band at that time, the Marine Band, was Francis Scala, who had come uh, to the United States in 1842 from Naples and had first served as a clarinetist on on a uh, shipboard and then jump sort of jump ship. he left yeah. yeah one of the problems was is that he was seasick all the time and so, uh, yeah. he, he thought that you know getting into one of the the land bands was better so <laughs> but sure. he uh he 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 did you know become the, the 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 director the leader of the marine band and it's during that time that he you know put a lot of italian music into it he also wrote a lot of pieces uh that was heard at the white house um mm-hmm. Uh, polkas and and waltzes dedicated to Mrs. Lincoln. And he also wrote a march for uh, the inauguration of Abraham Lincoln on March 4th, 1861, uh, called the uh, Union March, Mm -hmm. uh, which we did record. And it's, it's, it's a very interesting piece of music, and it actually calls for everyone to shout Hurrah for the Union.
you know, Lincoln not only, you know, enjoyed that Marine band, but, you know, he enjoyed the singers, um, artists who came in. Mrs. Lincoln actually bought a piano uh, for the White House, uh, mm-hmm. a Showamacher piano that was placed, I, I believe, in a parlor or sitting room or may have been put in the East. Well, I think it was probably put in the East Room. Mm-hmm. Um and they would use that piano, of course, to back up um, singers. Uh, Lincoln had heard like a, a soprano sing Donizetti's Daughter of the Regiment and so mm-hmm. impressed that he would invite her to come back. Uh, there was a guy named Commodore George Washington Nutt, who was 29 inches tall, short little guy, <laughs> um, who was a singer. And um, he was brought to the White House to entertain Lincoln uh, right after um, um, Fredericksburg. And he delighted um, not only the president, but the ca- uh, but the cabinet with uh, Columbia Gem of the Ocean. Mm-hmm. There was also a Venezuelan piano prodigy. Uh, I think she was nine years old, uh, Teresa Carreno. And she visited the White House in 1863. She was a, a kind of um, interesting person who, who had a, a little bit of a temper, even though she's nine years old, a, a real diva, even for nine years old. <laughs> she wrote about like uh, how she was impressed with the president and the first lady, how they greeted her informally. But when she performed, she did not care for the piano. And she played a couple pieces and then jumped off and left, saying it was out of tune. Uh, there you mm. go. <laughs> but from what I understand, in the rest of her career was, you know, while she was a great pianist, uh, she wasn't a very nice person. Yeah, yeah. Wow. And of course, there was, um, last but not least, the the Hutchinson family singers, mm-hmm. the great vocal group who entertained um, in the White House many times. Um, they. Uh, they they had been together for generations, uh, singing about social issues and political mm-hmm. causes, and um, and they they performed quite a bit for Lincoln. They also wound up performing for at least seven presidents. So, oh wow! Hmm. So, and and there's a lot of sheet music that's attributed to them. Mm-hmm. So so the, you know the Lincoln you know, when it comes down to it, had a musical White House, different groups coming in to perform. Um, when you look at like President uh, Kennedy, when he came into the White House, I mean, he sought to bring the arts right into the White House. Mm-hmm. You know, Pablo Casales performing, you know, cellos there, um, Martha Graham uh, doing ballet there. It's, it, you know, this is something that Lincoln had started. I don't mm-hmm. think that any president before him um, did as much for promoting the arts in the White House as he did. Mm-hmm. And then going back to uh, the Mrs. Lincoln and and Scala for a minute, did you ever have the opportunity to see uh, the famous uh, <laughs> Mrs. Lincoln note to the band leader? Yes. <laughs> Well, will the band leader of uh, will the will the will the, will the leader of the Marine Band kindly see Mrs. Lincoln this mm-hmm. today? 
uh, signed A. Lincoln. Mm -hmm. um, not only did I get to see it, but I got to hold it. Um, we were the, the band played at the Library of Congress one time, and Lars Lars Schussel was there, and Lars mm -hmm. said, "Hey guys." follow me. And he, he takes us into this room. He says, I want to show you something. And he opens the box and there it is. There's the original thing. Yeah, well. And he, and he holds it. You want to hold it. Everybody was really fun. Everybody like stepped back with their hands up. No, 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 no. <laughs> and he says, no, no, it's okay. You know, we, we put on white gloves and mm -hmm. so I actually got to hold it in my hand. It wow. is. Wow. Do, do we know what came of that conversation? What that was for or is that lost well basically uh mrs lincoln was was probably planning um a, a party the next day so mrs lincoln wanted to make sure that certain musical numbers were played so she just wanted to talk to him and, and, and square away the musical program gotcha gotcha um, that makes sense but it's it's so interesting that uh that he would send that note <laughs> um mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a neat little piece of history that the Marine Band gets to have. Yes. Sure. So you were talking about the, the role of music in Lincoln's life and within the White House and how important it was for him. Are there any ways that President Lincoln was able to use music or bands or brass bands in ways to, what we could say, maybe fight the Civil War? So maybe not so much in the White House, but more in the hearts of the, the citizens or in the hearts of the soldiers? Well, yeah. Well, you know, of course, Lincoln, as I said before, he, you know, he's very moved by the music he heard during his, his life and his presidency. And Lincoln recognized the ability of music to stir people, to stir a conscience, the, the people's conscience, and to inspire people and to evoke powerful emotions. And he understood the power of messages that could be conveyed through music. And certainly, you know, during, during the time of the White House, use that to further his war aims. You know, we have to use the word propaganda. Maybe that might, that might be the, the, the word to use, but certainly mm -hmm. he, he, he knew that the music was powerful. Now, a lot of the information, the reading I've gotten uh, was, is, is through a great book called Lincoln and Music of the Civil War by Kenneth uh, Bernard, mm -hmm. who was, um, I believe, a, a history teacher up at Boston University. The book is written in 1966. And I encourage everyone listening to find that book. I'm sure you can find it uh, on Amazon or a bookstore, bookseller mm -hmm. or something. It's a wonderful book uh, about how music affected Lincoln. Now, you know, in that book, Bernard points out that, you know, you know, music, you know, singing in schools and musical institutes, they operated everywhere in the country. Band concerts were popular forms of entertainment. Almost every house had a piano. Mm -hmm. uh, sheet music was very profitable um, on both sides, you know, during the war. Mm -hmm. And we were at that time a much more literate, uh, musically literate society than we are today. Mm -hmm. So, it's through that means that you know, social issues 
uh, uh, music that would further the war aims would 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 be you know would be published. And uh, let's let's look at a couple of those tunes. The first one that pops to mind is um, the song "We Are Coming, Father Abraham." And that um, was actually a poem, you know, we're, we're coming Father Abraham 300,000 strong, you know, for, from Mississippi's winding streams and from New England's shore. We leave our plows and workshops and our wives and children dear with hearts too full of utterance, but a with a silent tear. You know, we're coming, Father Abraham, we're coming our union to restore we're coming, Father Abram, 300,000 more. So here's a song, you know, getting people to sign up, you know, when Lincoln made that call for the troops. And this, mm -hmm. the, the, the poem is not only published as a poem, but it's set to music by uh, several composers, uh, including Stephen Foster. Uh, the one we recorded was the one uh, done by Luther uh, Emerson. And I like that setting very much. I first heard it on the Frederick Fennell Eastman Wind Ensemble recording. Mm -hmm. um, and, and that song was sung everywhere. And the funny thing about it is Lincoln hated to be called father. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, there's a story of like when Lincoln was on his way to uh, uh, Gettysburg and you know people came on the train uh, at the stops to meet him and somebody had approached him and said oh father Abram and he was taken aback by that hmm. he didn't he wow. did not like to be called father like that piece and like other pieces like it were those songs or poems initially became songs that were commissioned by the government by Lincoln and to serve as what we could call propaganda or was it just composers you know writing political music at the time I think you know there's this movement at the time I don't think the government actually you know commissioned anything yeah. Um, actually, the only thing the government actually commissioned was an attempt to make a national hymn mm. and they put a call out uh, to come up with what would have been our national hymn or national anthem. Mm -hmm. And they had thousands, thousands of, of, of submissions uh, for a $500 prize. <laughs> and basically, uh, there was no piece that was chosen. Hmm. But 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 you had composers like uh, Henry Work, uh, George Root, who who started who started writing. I mean, these guys 
they knew where the money was basically <laughs> so you you're going to write patriotic songs to you know to get at people and you had songs like rally round the flag you know people singing the union forever hurrah boys hurrah yeah uh, red white and blue standards like yankee doodle and the star spangled banner those were all very very patriotic very patriotic tunes and mm -hmm. of course lincoln hearing those things would love it and i, I gotta tell you that those songs that i mentioned all had confederate counterparts <laughs> you know they would they would take those songs and they would write their own lyrics to it uh basically uh sometimes denigrating lincoln or denigrating you know the union at the time <laughs> There in 18, oh gosh, when was it? 1864 at one of the U.S. Christian commissions, um, he heard a piece called Your Mission. Hmm. And, and what the song is basically about is that for soldiers, if you cannot find yourself in a battle to be, you know, a true soldier, and if, you know, you can't, you know, do the fighting and stuff, you know, then you, you can come back and you can help with, you know, taking care of the wounded, you know, burying the dead and stuff. And the song was so, uh, so affected Lincoln that when he heard it, he actually sent a note up to the performer and he said, near the close of the program, you know, can we let us have your mission repeated by Mr. Phillips? Mm -hmm. singer and he, then he wrote don't say i asked for it lincoln um so he you know he, he was affected by that and of course yeah. at thanksgiving in 1863 uh lincoln proclaimed you know that the fourth thursday in november should be a national day of thanksgiving mm -hmm. and a hymn was composed for that um and that became known as the President's Hymn. Hmm. And it was distributed by the, the US Sanitary Commission to and, and urged to be sung in churches on Thanksgiving morning. And even a setting of it was published in Harper's Weekly. Hmm. Um, and we, I, I, we blew up that music so I could see it. And then we actually uh, uh, performed that on one of the albums. Oh, wow. It's, it's 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 a very powerful piece and then uh after we had recorded it actually um a group in washington the washington revels which is a uh, vocal group came to me and asked if they could use the recording and then they recorded the vocals on top of it with oh, a fire nice. and just absolutely fantastic sounding so cool. so you know there's those pieces of music but I would think the piece of music that was used mostly and to, to symbolize the union, and I guess if to, if you were to say use this propaganda to mm -hmm. further uh, Lincoln's war aims, of course, would be the battle hymn of the Republic, mm -hmm. or as it was known back then as glory, glory, hallelujah. And uh, that particular song, um, for a lot of people who don't know its history, um, was written as actually started as a camp song um hmm. written by william steffi 
uh, the tune was called Oh Brother, Won't You Meet Us on Canaan's Happy Shore. Mm-hmm. And the, the, the tune was was camp, camp songs and uh, meeting songs and stuff. And then the words John Brown's body was mm-hmm. added to that before the Civil War and became very popular with you with Union troops. You mm-hmm. know, it was a very simplistic, you know, melody. Um, it, it was very easy. You know, the melody was very easy to sing. And even African-American units picked up the melody with their own spin on it, you know, with the words that uh, we're done with hoeing cotton, we're done with hoeing corn, we're colored Yankee soldiers just as sure as you were born. Hmm. Um, of course, and then they sang, uh, let's hang Jeff Davis from a sour apple tree to, to that music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it becomes the battle hymn of the Republic um, because not only are those words put to it, but uh, there are other obscene words as, <laughs> as soldiers, you know, like to sing. And so the story is, is that um, um, Julia Ward Howe, who was um, a very educated woman and poet and artist. And um, she was married to a doctor, uh, Sam Howe. And she was a, a great advocate for uh, abolitionism. She was a social advocate, uh, activist, and she was also to become um, a very strong leader in women's suffrage. Mm. She um, met Lincoln in November of um, uh, 1861, and she, you know, she went out and saw the grand review at Bailey's Cross uh, Crossing, where they had uh, thousands of Union troops. Lincoln was out there to review them. And certainly she would have heard the music. She would have heard uh, people singing that. She comes back after she, she met with Lincoln. By the way, w- when she met Lincoln, she noticed that in his eyes, the sadness Mm -hmm. Um, uh, especially when, you know, talking about arts and music and and things like that. And um, so she comes back, she watches these troops in Washington, D.C. march along and they're they're playing John Brown's body and stuff. And uh, there's a there's a great apocryphal story that I've always liked to tell when uh, when I'm talking about the the um, uh, Battle Hymn of the Republic in that uh, she is standing there. Um, watching as these troops go by and they're singing different lyrics to John Brown's body and stuff. And, uh, and she remarks out loud, you know, isn't it awful that these young men have to go off to their deaths with such filthy lyrics on their lips. And then from, from behind her, a tall man with a beard and a large hat leans down and says, well, why don't you do something about it? <laughs> and, uh, well, in reality, you know, it was uh, a friend of hers that suggested. Oh. <laughs> gotcha. <laughs> so, uh, in, um, in in that November, I forget exactly what date. She mm-hmm. staying at the Willard Hotel. She awakens from a a, a dream. And she writes the lyrics. Yeah, it nice. just comes to her, and uh, she winds up selling it to Atlantic Magazine for five dollars. <laughs> and it really becomes, you know, the anthem for the North, and and it really 
uh, when we think about Lincoln, it, it talks really about what his aims were, um, you know, with the, the troops and sounding forth the trumpet that shall never sound retreat. And of course, in that, um, in the beauty of the lilies, Christ was born across the sea. I've always been surprised that that piece was not performed with um, uh, Gettysburg at the at the dedication. Hmm. Although bands did play John Brown's body <laughs> the uh, night before. <laughs> Opposition to the Battle Hymn of the Republic, as Elvis Presley often did with his American trilogy, with kind of juxtaposing two of these songs together. Can you maybe talk a little bit about uh, Lincoln's relationship with the song Dixie? Oh my gosh, yes. <laughs> no. Now, Dixie is—it's firmly associated with the South and the Confederacy, and you know, and and, and while that's true. It's interesting that it was actually written by a northerner, Daniel Emmett of Ohio, who was a precautionist and um, also the author of one of the big uh, fife and drum manuals hmm. of the time. And it is a song that Lincoln really enjoyed. Um, Emmett was part of a minstrel show that was performing in Chicago, and that's where Lincoln first heard the tune. And he just, he, he liked it. He, he thought it was just a great tune and he would slap his knee. Um, and, and certainly he requested it many times. Mm -hmm. Probably that's the reason why a lot of the union bands had it in their repertory because mm -hmm. it would, would, would come up and would ask it, mm -hmm. uh, Hey, can you play Dixie for me? And the bands would now, um, the big account, of course, is that after the surrender of Lee at Appomattox, uh, crowds gathered in Washington um, to celebrate. And on the occasion of that, um, Lincoln was asked, you know, uh, Lincoln asked the band that was there to play Dixie. And, you know, he had said that he checked with uh, the Secretary of War to make sure it was okay for the permissible to, to play. And you know, it was agreed that it is fairly, it is ours and fairly won. And the, mm -hmm. so the president got his wish. Now, the, the transcript that, you know, I found about this is very interesting, you know, where Lincoln, and Lincoln never liked to talk off, uh, ex, you know, off the top of his head. Mm -hmm. He always liked to write things out, you know, before talking. But in this time, uh, you know, he's, he, he said, fellow citizens, I'm greatly rejoiced to find an occasion has occurred so pleasurable that the people cannot restrain themselves and cheers going up. Yay. 
is I suppose that arrangements are made for some sort of formal demonstration this or perhaps tomorrow night. And people started shouting, we can't wait, we can't wait, we want it now. And he, he goes, well, if there should be such a demonstration, I will, of course, will be called upon to respond. And I shall have nothing to say if you dribble it all up, you know, out of me now. And people laugh and stuff. And he goes, he went on to say, I see you have a band of music with you. And people were shouting back, yeah, we have two or three. Hmm. He goes, I propose closing up this interview by the band performing a particular tune, which I will name. Before this is done, I wish to mention one or two little circumstances connected with it. I've always thought that Dixie, one of the best tunes I've ever heard. Our adversaries over the way attempted to appropriate it, but I insisted yesterday that we had fairly captured it. Um, so I presented the question. Oh, this is a little different. I presented the question to the attorney general, not Stan, as it turns out. And he gave it as his legal opinion that it is our lawful prize, <laughs> which people then applauded, you know, laughter. He says, I now request the band to favor me with its performance. So the band played Dixie. And following that, they played Yankee Doodle to a lot mm -hmm. of cheers. And then the president and the um, the program called for three cheers for uh, General Grant and his command, and then three cheers for the gallant Navy. <laughs> so huh. certainly Dixie was, you know, in the back of his head. I had heard somewhere, and I have not been able to find out, that he had used the tune um, with different words as a you know a um, campaign song but yeah, I, I had heard that too but wasn't really able to track anything concrete down related to yeah, that yeah there were there were so many other tunes that were used um, uh, for, for his campaign but yeah that was one I was not quite able to find and uh, but but certainly we know that he was he, he liked the tune and he, you know when you think about it Lincoln you know, for everything about the Confederacy, he he knew that he was, you know, they were part of his, part of the nation. Mm -hmm. In fact, the night that he was assassinated, he carried in his wallet, you know, a clipping from the Richmond paper and also a $5 bill with Jefferson Davis portrait on it. So, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, I was going to, this is kind of switching gears a little bit, but Lincoln, you know, has been, served as subject matter for composers, you know, well after him, uh, you know, Aaron Copeland's, you know, Lincoln portrait. So there have been, you know, a number of pieces written about him or at least did to him, you know, after his death. Why, why do you think he kind of attracts a lot of composers to write about, you know, either, either him with him in mind or about that kind of subject matter? Wow. Um, you know, it's, Lincoln in his words and his deeds, you know, served as an inspiration for, for generations. Um, mm -hmm. Certainly thousands and thousands of books have been, have been uh, written. Uh, if you go to Ford's theater, for example, you, they have all the stack of all the books that were written about Olympic Link, Lincoln. And it goes like three or four levels. Up mm -hmm. um, but Abraham Lincoln has just inspired generations uh, through his writing, 
his life and and certainly you know while we have artists who have been attempting to capture the essence of lincoln uh through paintings and and sculptures uh, composers have sought to do the same th same thing musically mm -hmm. um, of course you mentioned the lincoln portrait as being one you know the standard by what other pieces are written but but certainly after lincoln uh was assassinated hundreds and hundreds of, of pieces were written um pieces like our noble chief has passed away uh you know oh oh speak to me once more um marches that were actually performed at the funeral you know the lincoln's funeral took 20 days as, as the train moved uh from washington to springfield and along the way there were processions and bands that played funeral marches that were hastily composed in memory of lincoln the two big ones that i know of um, Lincoln's Funeral March by William Wolfe, and then the Funeral March by General John uh, Gross Bernard, which was performed by the U.S. Marine Band during the funeral procession from the White House to the Capitol on April 19th. Um, that piece, um, there is no parts that are extant in the Marine Band Library. They he did an arrangement um, that was performed by the Cleveland Winds under the direction of Lars Schissel. Hmm. Um, also, you know, as we got into the latter part of the 19th century, uh, pieces were written to commemorate uh, Lincoln. Musical settings of the Walt Whitman poem, Oh, Captain, My Captain. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, in 1909, with the centennial of, of Lincoln's birth, there was another upsurge of music being composed in memory of Lincoln. Marches, there's a, a great Lincoln Centennial March that we played. Um, uh, E.T. Paul, who wrote all these great uh, big extravaganza pieces, wrote one uh, dedicated to Lincoln. Um, and then in, in, the, in the beginning of the 20th century, the, you know, after, after Lincoln's centennial, you had pieces uh, that were written in commemoration of Lincoln. Before um, the Lincoln Portrait, which is 1942, you had people who would do uh, pieces about Lincoln. There's a piece by um, Earl Robinson called Abraham Lincoln. Robert Russell Bennett actually also did a piece in 1929 called Abraham Lincoln, a likeness in symphony. Um, Copeland's Lincoln portrait. Um, then there's been many, many settings of the Gettysburg Address by, mm -hmm. by several composers. I've also saw somebody had done a um, Lincoln's second inaugural, had set that to music. Mm, you know, yeah. that must be a, a, a thing. So yeah. <laughs> certainly, yeah. <laughs> you, you know, Lincoln speaks to us uh, in so many ways. Now, what's what's interesting, the um John Philip Sousa did not write a piece uh, commemorating Abraham Lincoln. Hmm. Um, you know, he wrote, of course, the, the George Washington Bicentennial March, mm -hmm. but did not compose a march for Lincoln on the 100th anniversary of his birth. And I actually asked Lars Schischel about it, and he replied, well, you know, probably no one asked him to do one. Yeah. <laughs> There's a Sousa connection with Lincoln is that... Um, 
Sousa did also, uh, he, he, he set this hymn, Oh, Why Should the Spirit of Mortal Be Proud? It's a poem by William Knox and was said to have been Lincoln's favorite hymn. He set that to music. So that's, you know, the only Sousa connection outside of the fact that Lincoln passed away in the Abraham Lincoln Hotel in Reading, Pennsylvania. <laughs> so yeah. I've always found it uh, interesting that uh, Sousa didn't write anything or more about Abraham Lincoln, you know, because certainly Sousa as a child saw Lincoln a lot, you know, mm -hmm. 10 year old he would have been dragged over to the white house by his father yeah, yeah. in the band at the time so do you know did any of Sousa's contemporaries that this might be asking a super vague and broad question but did Sousa's contemporaries write anything like a uh, king or Fillmore or even later like goldman like any of those other uh golden age band uh band leaders that's a great question. I'm going to have to, to to look into that. There's the one the one Lincoln Centennial March is by a composer, and I can't remember who it was, but I don't mm. think it was a King or a Fillmore or anybody like that. Which mm -hmm. is a, yeah, I mean, but it's a, it's a nice little march. Yeah, nice. Um, <laughs> but but you know when we come down to it, the piece, of course, and my favorite piece about Lincoln is the, the the Lincoln portrait by Aaron Copeland. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Copeland, of course, defined what, quote unquote, American music sounds like. And, you know, it includes in this work, the writings uh, of Lincoln and his, and you know, from excerpts from his letters. And, in, 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 you know, it incorporates American music, incorporates the two tunes, uh, Camp Town Races, and on Springfield Mountain. Um, I love hearing that piece. And, 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 and to this day, I can actually remember the very first time I heard it. Um, uh, it was, you know, at, at a, a record library. Um, and, you know, uh, we were assigned to listen to certain pieces. And um, one of them was Lincoln Portrait, which I'd not heard before. And so I had headphones on. And it was, I believe, the Los Angeles uh, Orchestra with Henry Fonda as the narrator. And stupid me, I didn't know that it was a narration. And so when it came to fellow citizens, <laughs> I nearly jumped five feet in the because when, when Henry Fonda started that, it was like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You thought somebody was, like, behind you or something. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And yeah, that's funny. When it finished, you know, I walked away. Well, th this is an incredible, you know, work. And I had been, you know, in love with it ever since. And, of course, the words of Lincoln res resound so strongly there is a story, of course, um, a South American country where Link, uh, where Copeland had gone down to conduct this piece, and the, the woman was um, um, South American actress and um, who also an activist, and it was in a country that was having some turmoil, mm -hmm. and. In, in the instructions to Lincoln Portrait, it says that the, the narration is supposed to be performed 
without emotion. It's supposed to be performed plainly, you know. But she, you know, gave it, you know, this very strong interpretation to it, so much so that the uh, the, the leader of the country who came late sort of had to sneak out <laughs> because people were so riled up at no, the, uh... <laughs> the performance. And wow. they say that uh, he was thrown out of office, you know, several weeks later. Yikes. Uh, Could it be attributed to the, the performance? Who knows? But yeah, yeah. I, I mean, it certainly is, uh, you know, a, a piece that really, re, you know, resounds in, in, in the hearts of so many people, you know, yeah, when they talk yeah, about, yeah. you know, democracy. And yeah, definitely. Is, is, this, is this bringing us full circle here? Is it that exposure to that piece that was kind of your... Uh, gateway into becoming interested in Lincoln, or was that uh, historical fascination already there? The the fascination had been there. I'd always been interested in the Civil War, and I've always been interested in Abraham Lincoln, and uh, loved, you know, see any movie about him, um, reading the books, the Carl Sandburg books. um, um, I also found some great radio adaptations that were done like in the 1940s of, mm-hmm. of those. And it's it's so fascinating to hear um, that. And, and, and Lincoln's words are so great. I, I have a dog-eared copy of the book, um, Lincoln at Gettysburg, Words That Remade America by Gary Wills. Mm-hmm. Um, just the, 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 the talking about how those, how that short, you know, 240 some words, you know, changed how we look at the United States and how it changed the meaning of the war so much. And, and, you know, speaking of which, you know, knowing about that and then finding out about the music part of it too, that, you know, the Marine band had traveled up, you know, with Lincoln. Um, They also picked up another band. I think the U S the second U S artillery band went along with them um so there was there must have been a lot of music as as they went up there mm-hmm. four bands were there were four bands that were there um playing in the streets and playing um the the old hundredth uh hymn before he spoke you know that probably affected lincoln right there hearing that yeah. mm-hmm. um and then mm-hmm. listening to the um the odes that were composed for this you know special occasion had to affect you know lincoln so much so much so mm-hmm. um, there's yeah. a great tie-in with with lincoln and, and this great music As we were going through our discussion, I was, uh, you know, following along also. uh, The Federal City Brass Band has an album titled Hurrah for the Union, Music of Abraham Lincoln in the Civil War. And while we were talking, 
I was, you know, kind of going through the track list and seeing that a lot of these pieces uh, were able to be talked about uh, in our discussion, just kind of worked into it very naturally. Can you maybe talk very briefly about uh, that project and how Hurrah for the Union kind of came to be and why? The Federal City Brass Band recorded Hurrah for the Union, music of Abraham Lincoln and the Civil War. Um, I forget exactly what year we recorded it, but it was um, certainly because we were you know, interested in, in researching and finding out what music Lincoln uh, would have heard during his time, um, during his lifetime, and also the time that he spent in the White House and also any music that he would have been uh, would have enjoyed. Mm-hmm. And we, 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 we found some really interesting uh, pieces that were associated, you know, closely with Lincoln. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, for example, uh, when we talked about his opera, his love for opera, we uh, have recorded the, the Soldier's March from, I think, Faust is, mm-hmm. is on there. Mm-hmm. And he certainly he he loved that piece quite a bit. Um, and then there are uh, other pieces that we recorded um, that probably reflect Lincoln's life. For example, uh, we, we decided to record the Home Run Gallop because uh, we, we found out that Lincoln had had some sort of uh, relationship or, uh, you know, had association with baseball, <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, prob- yeah. probably having played it as a kid, um, you know, town ball. But it was noted that Lincoln had watched some baseball games played uh, near the White House. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very nice. Um, it seems like, based on some of the track listings, which will you know have links to and and places for people to to listen and purchase the album. But it seems like based on a lot of the selections that are made, this album, by the nature of the Federal City Brass Band, is a little brass bandier than Lincoln might have heard some of the, the music in the time, right? Some of this music seems like, as you said, some uh, operatic music, but then there's some choir music, and I see Honor to Our Soldiers is on there as well. Right. That's a, tr- that's a very interesting piece because that's actually a piece of music that Lincoln did not hear. He mm-hmm. was scheduled to hear it. Uh, it was written by William Withers, who um, had was a member of the U.S. Marine Band at one time, and then had left the band and, and formed a social orchestra in the Washington area. Uh, he his band actually performed at the second inaugural ball, and another one of those pieces I think is on there, the um, Canary Bird Waltz. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's 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 funny because that piece uh, shows up as being titled Bird Waltz, but yeah, the Canary Bird Waltz, and that and that actually comes from you know from a Confederate band library, but it was performed at uh, the White House. William Withers uh, knew uh, that Lincoln was going to be at Ford's Theater, and at that time, Withers was the orchestra uh, director. And so he knew that this would be a great time to showcase this new composition. Um, and when Lincoln arrived at the theater, he arrived late uh, because he had uh, uh, pressing matters before he could get to the, um, to the theater. Uh, Withers uh, struck up hail to the chief as Lincoln entered and then they settled down for the, uh, for the play. Uh, our, Honor to Our Soldiers was scheduled to be performed 
but unfortunately, uh, you know, John Wilkes Booth had other things in mind and he never got mm-hmm. to hear it. Mm-hmm. And that was originally for, was that just voice and piano or was that orchestrated for the full, uh, the pit <laughs> that, that would have been there? Um, I don't know for sure. Um, hmm. the, the, le- the lead of the um, show that evening um, was supposed to uh, lead the entire uh, uh, audience in the singing. Hmm. So it may have been just piano, but maybe Withers had done an orchestration for the, for the pit orchestra. seeing that on the album the lincoln funeral march is on there as well so i guess that would have been another piece that lincoln wouldn't have heard <laughs> right exactly and, yeah. and the reason we included that that was the one of many many pieces that were written in in the weeks of uh following lincoln's assassination um and i i picked it because i thought it was it was so moving and it certainly fit um the the what what funeral marches how funeral marches were written at that time and it, mm-hmm. it's sort of along the lines to me it sounds a little bit like mendelssohn mm-hmm. um, was that for brass band or did you guys make that uh, orchestration yourself yeah we had to make that orchestration ourselves um mm-hmm. and uh, you know it, the funeral marches are all fall into this same type of format in that you know they're all done in eight and 16 bar phrases so that it works well with you know a, a funeral cadence underneath it mm-hmm. uh, they're always done in you know the first sections first two sections are in minor keys and then usually the trio will go off into a major key mm-hmm. whether it be um the relative major uh from the minor key or maybe go to the subdominant uh but mm-hmm. make it into the major uh, major key uh, there are most funeral marches, like I said, fall into that, uh, into that, into that format. Uh, Sousa himself actually wrote a couple funeral marches that are along the same lines. The most hmm. famous one of his is a piece called the golden star, which he wrote in uh, 1917 hmm. or 1918. So, um, so yeah, so we thought it'd be appropriate to, you know, include, what people would have heard, you know, as Lincoln's uh, cortege, you know, was was brought along the streets of Washington mm-hmm. and, and and other other cities, because, you know, uh, when Lincoln was taken back to Springfield, they stopped uh, along the way and they had funeral processions, mm-hmm. you know, each city uh, had their own procession. And then, of course, there were even cities where Lincoln didn't make the stop, they still had a funeral procession. Mm, wow. <laughs> they yeah. had a mock-up of the casket that was brought brought along. Yeah. So yeah. B- bands were playing all these marches, or these funeral type of marches. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'm sure it was uh, quite an emotional you know, sight to see and event to be at in the time. And 
it's awesome that you guys were able to kind of take a little audio snapshot of, yes. of that music and, and be able to preserve that on this uh, awesome CD. We Go feel ahead. very good about it. The, the, the music on it, we, we thought was just a little bit of a snapshot of what Lincoln had heard. And, and I've heard other CDs um, that are more vocal in nature um, of Lincoln's music, which is good. Um, I've enjoyed listening to that and uh, mm -hmm. knowing that Lincoln loved, you know, hearing vocal music, opera music and stuff. But, you know, he certainly would have heard a lot of brass band music during his lifetime with yeah, the, the Marine band being there all the time. Before we wrap up, we did want to give you the, uh, the opportunity to, you know, highlight anything you have coming up, I guess in the next, uh, month or two uh since we're recording these kind of ahead of time um so why don't you let everybody know kind of what you've been up to with you know all your stuff at gettysburg and the the new world war one memorial uh, downtown and all that good stuff well well thanks for the opportunity to mention that of course uh i'm involved with a big project with the uh, world war one centennial commission uh, we started back in May of providing a bugler sounding taps every day at 5 p.m. at the new uh, National World War I Memorial in Washington, D.C., which is located uh, between, uh, it's on Pennsylvania Avenue between 14th and 15th Streets, right, right where the Willard Hotel is. Mm -hmm. um, they, could, they, they converted an old park, the old Pershing Park, into this new wonderful World War One memorial, and there is a, a great bronze uh, relief that's going to be uh, put up. They're still working on on it. That's going to be unveiled in 2024. Okay. So there's a bugler there every every night, and we hope uh, our contract goes till uh, mid November. But uh, we're hoping that they extend it past that. Mm -hmm. um, by the time this video comes out. Uh, our video about the bugling at the memorial will be up. Uh, so I don't know exactly where it is, but you certainly can go to Taps for Veterans or Taps Bugler to see this wonderful video about bugling at the memorial um, with narration by Gary Sinise, um, which is which is pretty cool, <laughs> I think. Um, so that uh, that's happening. And this is all being... Uh, part of my huge project um, leading up to the centennial of the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. Mm -hmm. um, November 11th marks the 100th anniversary of the first unknown soldier buried at Arlington National Cemetery or um, from World War One. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, we had many, many unknowns there from the Civil War, but this is the mm -hmm. first America's unknown soldier from World War One. Um, and the, the, leading up to that, there's going to be a special ceremony on Sunday, November 7th at 10 a.m. at Arlington National Cemetery at the old amphitheater, uh, which is now called the Tanner Amphitheater. Um, and what we'll be doing is commemorating 100 years of taps at the tomb and um, honoring the buglers who sounded taps there for 100 years and especially uh, commemorating the three buglers who sounded for the big ceremonies um, in 1921. Uh, that was Frank Witchie, 1958 for the World War II and Korean unknown. That was George Myers, 
And then in 1984 for the Vietnam Unknown, uh, that was Patrick Mastrolio. Uh, they are all, they've all deceased and they're all buried at Arlington uh, near each other, interestingly enough. So as part of this, after we do our ceremony at 10 o'clock, we're going to the grave sites to lay wreaths at their graves. We're also going to stop by Edward Younger's grave. Edward Younger was the soldier who picked the unknown back in 1921. Uh Uh, And then on our way to the amphitheater, we're going to stop by General Pershing's grave and and lay a wreath at his grave. Uh Uh, And then at uh, 115, there'll be an official uh, wreath laying ceremony at the Tomb of the Unknown Soldier. And the person presenting the wreath will be the granddaughter of the first bugler to sound taps and uh for the unknown and then we'll have a nice reception afterwards so that's sunday november 7th and there's a lot of information that's um on tapsbugler.com and also tapsforveterans.org uh, uh so if you're interested in that you can sign up uh for that event and you can help support us by buying one of our nice commemorative coins um, so you can find all that information there. So that's that's my big stuff that's coming up right now. Um, and there's going to be some more uh, with bugling and hopefully with the federal city brass, you know, gets up and running again. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can perform some concerts. Yeah. So I thank you for that, you know, a chance to talk about that. Sure. Yeah. yeah, of course. And we'll very exciting. I, You're always always working on something. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, I have to. Got to keep got to keep busy. Yeah. Yeah. Well, of course, you know, uh, as the videos that you mentioned become available and everything that's currently available once this episode goes up, we'll, of course, include links in all of our uh, uploads of this episode and on our social media. So we'll help try to get the word out for you there as well. Yeah, we can't thank you enough, Yari. You're incredibly generous with your time today, as always. We can't thank you enough for taking the time to speak with us and share your knowledge. Uh, we've met multiple fans of the show who uh, you know, go on and on about how much they enjoy your episodes and, and hearing you know, all your experience and information. Oh. So, yeah, thank you so much. Well, well thank you. And, and um, I really appreciate that you have provided this platform so that we could talk about this, you know, great era of music. Thank you again so much to Yari Villanueva for coming on to the Early American Brass Band podcast. This is Yari's fourth appearance with the band, and we're looking forward to many more in the future. This episode's featured album is by the Federal City Brass Band, titled Hurrah for the Union. This is all music uh, about and uh, favorited by Abraham Lincoln during his time as president, and it's all recorded by the Federal City Brass Band on period instruments and mouthpieces, and is of the quality that you would expect from Yari and his fantastic brass band. So we'll be sure to include links and uh, previews of that music on our show notes. So be sure to go over there on our website, www.eabbpodcast.com to check out our show notes and learn more about Yari and the Federal City Brass Band. Music for this episode was provided by the 8th Green Machine Regiment Band from George Mason University in Fairfax, Virginia, and the Federal City Brass Band. 
be sure to follow us on all social media platforms and YouTube so you stay up to date with all our news and releases. And we'll catch you on the next one. Thank you.